Hi everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Low Season Traveller Insider Guides. I'm your host, Jed Brown, founder of Low Season Traveller, and this episode was taken from the 10th session of the Keeping the Dream Alive series of webinars, which we're collaborating on with the World Tourism Association for Culture and Heritage. This episode is entitled Crisis and Careers, Navigating the Storm, and we've got the perfect person to help us sail a straight course. Karen Priest is the principal of Smart Tourism, a boutique marketing consultancy which provides strategic solutions and advice to the tourism industry. Also, she is the co-director of Tourism Talent Australia, a tourism recruitment and development consultancy originally launched by fellow tourism talent directors in New Zealand. Karen has over 30 years experience in tourism and hospitality, having held several diverse senior management roles in marketing, business development and communications in Western Australia, New Zealand, South Africa and the United Kingdom. She's gained significant experience working for various regional, state and national destination marketing agencies, including Tourism Australia, Tourism Western Australia, New Caledonia Tourism, Australia Southwest and Mundara and Peel Tourism Organisation. She's also worked in private enterprise in hotel management roles, the wine industry and the caravan and camping sector. She's previously served on various boards and committees, including the Perth Convention Bureau, the Western Australia branch of the Australian Tourism Export Council, and the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. She previously sat on the Marketing Advisory Panel for Tourism Western Australia, and has served as a board director on the Tourism Council Western Australia, Western Australia's peak tourism industry body, for four years. She has an extensive network of contacts within tourism, media, and the public and private sectors in Australia and overseas. She's also passionate about tourism development and marketing and is highly regarded by the industry as an expert and leader in her field. Karen feels privileged to currently serve as a commissioner on the Board of Tourism for Western Australia. This is the keynote from our session. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Jed, and thank you for your very kind introduction. And uh, hello, everyone. I'm really delighted to be here today and a very warm uh, welcome to our webinar crisis and careers navigating the storm. And thanks, Jed, to yourself, Chris and Carolyn for the opportunity of being here during what I call these challenging and still unpredictable times. We do value all of you tuning in today because I know it's a hectic time for most. Tourism has been my passion for and my career and main source of income for at least 30 years plus working in a number of countries across the accommodation sector and destination marketing roles, as Jed outlined just now. In more recent times, I've turned to recruitment. And I know that you'll agree, no matter where you are dialing in from today, that COVID has really brought our world to a standstill, and particularly our industry sector. In the words of the World Tourism Organization, it's been the worst affected of all major economic sectors. In 2009, of course, our industry was in a much better place. According to the World Travel and Tourism Council's latest annual research in conjunction with Oxford Economics, it showed the travel and tourism sector experienced 3.5% growth in 2019, outpacing the global economy growth of 2.5% for the ninth consecutive year. Over the past five years, one in four new jobs were created by the sector, making travel and tourism the best partner for governments to generate employment. 
just looking at some of the stats in 2019, travel and tourism's direct, indirect and induced impact accounted for around 8.9 trillion US dollars in contribution to the world's GDP, 10.3% of global GDP, and a whopping 330 million jobs. That's one in 10 jobs around the world. 1.7 trillion US dollars in visitor exports, and also a whopping 948 billion US worth of capital investment. Then of course, unexpectedly, and uh, none of us wanted it, COVID-19 came along. So on the 26th of March, 2020, the World Tourism Organization released its updated assessment of the likely impact of COVID-19 on international tourism. Taking into account the unparalleled introduction of travel restrictions across the world, the Agency for Tourism expects that international tourist arrivals will be down somewhere between 20 and 30% in 2020 when compared with 2019 figures. However, of course, the World Tourism Organization does stress that these numbers are based on the latest developments as the global community faces up to this unprecedented social and economic challenge. So figures, as always, should be interpreted with a little bit of caution in view of the uncertain nature of the current crisis. An unexpected fall of 20 to 30% could translate into a decline in international tourism receipts of somewhere between 300 and 450 billion US dollars. Uh, that's almost around one third of what was generated in 2019. I think it's also important to note that around 80% of all tourism businesses are small and medium-sized enterprises or SMEs. And the tourism sector, along a number of years, has led the way in providing employment opportunities for a very diverse range of people, including youth and rural and regional communities. And of course, in addition to the impact of the loss of international arrivals, uh, in some countries, in Australia where I live is an example of that, where we've actually closed in Western Australia some of those internal domestic borders in order to stop the spread of the virus, which of course has had a further impact until recent times on our tourism sector, and especially in those regional areas that need tourism the most. When it comes to jobs and careers, we've already seen our uh, industry decimated as a result of COVID. And uh, I'll just look at some of those stats with you now. So we've seen millions of people in tourism, travel, hospitality, aviation and more uh, having been made redundant or furloughed as a result of this pandemic. When we look at some of these numbers and review the global figures, according to this report undertaken by Statista, the global travel and tourism market is predicted to see a loss of around 100.8 million jobs worldwide in 2020. The region that is supposed to see the biggest uh, loss of jobs is the Asia Pacific region, losing approximately 63.4 million jobs and around 25.6 of those in China alone. While Europe is predicted to be the second hardest hit with a forecasted employment drop of around 13 million. And I'm sure that all of you will agree those numbers are quite alarming. However, on a more positive note in its assessment, the World Tourism Organization underlines tourism's historic resilience and capacity to create jobs after crisis situations 
And of course, we saw evidence of this earlier on in this series, when Chris Flynn demonstrated how the tourism sector bounced back after a number of historic global crises. Unfortunately, some of you who are dialing in today might be casualties at this time, having lost your own job, closed or put your business temporarily on hold, or had to make others redundant. And let's face it, losing your job, whether it's, it's your job, business or any income, is considered one of life's most stressful experiences. And it's difficult at any time, never mind during a pandemic. And unfortunately, myself, I'm also talking from experience. Uh, I moved back to Western Australia, I think it was around 2010, and it was roughly at the end of the mining boom, and I was made redundant three times in three years due to company closures or relocations. During this pandemic, it's very easy to say, oh, look, we're all in the same boat. Uh, the widespread nature of this crisis means we shouldn't blame ourselves for this situation. But of course, that's of little comfort when we've got mortgages to pay, bills to pay and family to feed. It's, you know, even though we know we're not alone and many people are faced with the same insecurity, it's still very easy to feel overwhelmed about when and where you're going to find your next opportunity. How long is it going to take to find work? Especially, I think, if you've had a long-term career in the tourism industry like many of us have. There are so many unknowns. None of us has a crystal ball. And you may feel like you don't have any control over your life or know what the future is going to hold. You might feel no sense of purpose and you may also feel undervalued. I know I certainly did when I was made redundant. Uh, you tend to get to feel anxious and if you're not handling anxiety well, uh, you don't need some, or you don't have some trips, uh, sorry, apologies, uh, tips and tricks to handle anxiety well, that can lead to a downward spiral and depression very quickly. Some of you right now, you might be rebounding yourself from redundancy, or you might have been un in the unenviable situation where you've yourself had to lay off a number of staff. And I know also from experience that that can be equally confronting. It's important to remember that it's the position that is being made redundant, not the person. So I do say to people, don't take it too personally. And I know that's a very easy statement to make. It is important though to know your rights. And if you are making somebody redundant, that those people know their rights as well, and that all options have been considered. It's very important not to keep analysing things, try to put the past behind you and try to look forward. Very importantly, and I know it's common sense, but uh, you need to look after yourself first. Uh, we all hear that on an aircraft, put your oxygen mask on first. You have to do that before you can get ahead and take care of others too. It means consistency. It means daily exercise, healthy eating habits, a good night's sleep, drinking plenty of water, all of those things need to become part of your routine. And you need to have a routine, set a daily plan and stick to that. Some days, and I know this also from experience, it can be very challenging, but this helps you develop a healthy and positive mindset. It will help you stay focused. Now is the time to turn your energy into decisive action. I also think it's important to believe and visualize that you are on your path to something new and exciting, even though you don't know now what that is. It's really important to assess your finances early on and determine commitments that can be scaled back or parked while you rein in your spending. You need to revise your budget and make some sacrifices. You may have to suspend non-essential memberships and subscriptions. 
you might not be able to treat your kids to something new. But remember, this is a temporary situation. When it comes to people, if you're in the uh, uh, fortunate position of still being in a role, either in your own job and leading a team or in your own business, during these times, transparency, empathy and compassion are key. People are not just worried about their uh, jobs, they're worried about health, they're worried about their family's health, financial security and more. And this applies not just for your teams, but being empathetic with all people that you work with and you're coming into contact with in any organisation. I also think as a leader, it's very easy to be a leader when things are going smoothly, but much harder when times are tough. All of the things that I'm talking about here, of course, are not just leadership qualities during a crisis. In my opinion, these are key leadership qualities that should be adopted at all times. But sadly, not all leaders operate in this way generally. It's really imperative to make teams aware of where they can receive free counselling or have access to support or online tools that will help them. I was, I've always found that employees that are cared for will actually care for your organisation too. Communication, it's about engaging and communicating regularly uh, with a team that I'm working with at the moment remotely. I actually have a daily, uh, at the start of the day, a daily Zoom meeting with them where we have our coffee. It's just a quick half an hour around the table and we talk about what's on for that day. And everybody tells me they value it because we all uh, have some communication and we're all fired up at the start of our, our, our daily work. It's just a quick half an hour. We also have a weekly work in progress meeting via Zoom as well. I think one key thing to remember is that when we give our team the freedom to work from home or by necessity they may have to work from home, we have to trust that they will get the job up done and not keep checking on them or, you know, just, just trust that the job will get done. I've provided my team with a list of tips for working from home because for some people working from home is a very big adjustment to make. Flexibility. Some people uh, may have children and their job, you know, they may have a job that can be done in the evening rather than during traditional daytime hours. And so you may consider if it's a job that your employees can do at night after the kids go to bed, that could be something that you offer as part of flexibility. In terms of support, you know, remind your team that just because you're not in the office or the same building doesn't mean you're not there to support them. You still have an open door policy, um, but it's just via Zoom, just not through the door in the office. In our industry here, I've seen lots of innovation, as I'm sure you have around the world, but in our industry here, one of our uh, regional tourism organisations organised a Friday get-together called Friday Fizz, where everyone in the industry could tune in late on a Friday afternoon for drinks and to share information. This has been a great success and it's enabled the industry to work together, collaborate and talk about the future and look at ways that we can move forward together. So there are lots of things you can do to stay connected, not just with your teams, but with the industry as a whole. If you're working from home, it can take some getting used to. And I think many of us felt like that in the beginning when we first started working from home. Whilst technology has been great at enabling us to do this, there are a few things to consider to ensure that you stay motivated and make the most out of your working day. Act as if you are going to the office. Uh, no good sitting there in your pyjamas. I say, you know, shower, wear comfortable business attire and dress for success. And I've done this even before when I've been job hunting. You know, if you dress the part and you feel the part, then it has helped me in the right mindset uh, address job hunting as well. 
I actually know a lady who used to get into her car and drive around the block to help her feel like she'd actually gone to work and then just drive back into the driveway and go to her desk. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that you have to go to those lengths unless it works for you, but some of these tips have definitely helped me be more productive. Having a designated office space is key. Uh, not everyone has the luxury of an office, but a small area and workstation that is yours is required. I also believe it's important to have a schedule as you would if you were working at any office and start early if you can. If you're in a role that doesn't require you to be working during the day, as said earlier, your organisation might be happy to accommodate different hours as long as that job gets done. An important thing that I'm not so good at but trying harder is it's very important to take regular breaks away from the desk. Maybe go for a walk around the block at lunchtime or take a break and do some stretches. And of course, as many of us know, very easy to be distracted from working when you're working from home with barking dogs, children might demand your attention. Also, I've found friends and others think it's okay to phone you any time during the day uh, because you're working from home. It means that you can take personal calls at any time. So you do need to set boundaries. But act as if you're in the office, schedule your calls, use do not disturb functions and noise cancelling headphones and the like. Some people like background noise that helps them feel that they're not on their own, such as the TV. I prefer ambient concentration music that helps them sort of concentrate. Very importantly, uh, the last point is knowing when to switch off. And once again, that's something I'm not very good at, but trying to get better at. Very easy to, to lose track of time when you're enjoying your work. And I've been very guilty of this still sitting in the office when my family's been waiting for their dinner. So I think it's really important that we learn to switch off and know when to shut the office door or office space. In terms of navigating the storm, of course, buoyancy for the tourism sector, it's dependent on so many things. It's dependent on factors such as consumer confidence to travel again, the return of aviation access to our destinations, and in fact, people even having discretionary income to spend on travel and holidays. And of course, all of these uh, factors have a massive flow on effect to our sector and uh, to employment in turn. I think it's also important to remember that it's not just business as usual. Uh, it was tough enough to get a job, to be honest, just you know before COVID, searching for a new job has been challenging enough before COVID was here. But if you and your business or yourself as an individual employee have been impacted by this, how do we navigate this storm when we absolutely can't see what lies ahead? Ultimately, of course, it's about survival. And in order to navigate the storm, I think these are three things that we need to be doing first, and that's adapting, developing, and certainly thriving. And of course, this seems like common sense, but you may be surprised how many people flounder when they don't have a plan in place to steer and plot their course ahead. So I'm going to just share with you today some basic thoughts and suggestions, which I hope will help you on your career journey. When it comes to adapting, how do we transition from what used to be normal to the new normal, whatever that looks like? We need to have a plan, and it's about attitude and changing our internal mindset. We need to be agile and flexible in our approach, and once again, that's not always easy to do. We need to embrace change. Uh, Change is how we grow, and I think the days of holding a long-term job, many of our parents, you know, stayed in the same role for 10 to 20 years or more, it's no longer the norm. In the interim of finding your next dream job, 
you might have to consider something completely different if only to survive. And I think we have to remind ourselves not to be too proud about doing this. We do learn from all new experiences in life. Consider this as a time to take a step back, pause and reset. And I've thought, you know, just taking a day out to plot out your thoughts and think about how you can embrace the change. It could be a really great opportunity for you. And it might be a chance to reflect on what you really want. I can tell you when I was made redundant, those number of times that coming back to Western Australia, I thought, look, I might as well be self-employed again. It made me realise that actually I prefer working for myself than for somebody else. And I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. Yes, it's very hard work, but it's also very rewarding. And I could then pick the kind of work that I wanted to do as well. So my question to you today is, could this be an opportunity for you to perhaps consider a different career path? It might be a new industry sector or role. Is there something you've always wanted to do? Have you considered yourself setting up your own business using the knowledge and expertise you've acquired during your career to help other people? In terms of developing, what I did when I was first made redundant, I think it's really healthy to do this, is evaluate your experience throughout your career. Don't pigeon yourself into a specific job role. So, you know, in my last job, I was chief executive officer of a destination marketing organisation. It doesn't mean that's the only job title or job I can do. Assess the full range of skills and characteristic attributes you have, which are highly transferable to new positions and industry sectors that perhaps you may not yet have considered. You can also ask friends and family about your key strengths and areas of development, and I'm sure they're going to be quite honest with us about those areas. That will help you determine which roles and sectors might suit you best. I also think writing an extensive list of the skills that you excel at, so that could be something like negotiating, mentoring, problem solving, working with people, paying attention to what you're great at, and also importantly, what you actually enjoy doing most. In these terrible times, I've recently seen a lot of tourism people who, of course, are great at customer service, move into roles in call centres. I've seen chefs from hotels move into chef roles or food and beverage roles in aged care centres and so on during COVID-19. Something else that I, I've done before when I've been feeling down after a redundancy or not knowing the way forward, I've reviewed previous thank you emails, letters, awards and accolades that I've received during my career which helps me to retain my confidence and belief in myself, which is really key during these times. Remember, you haven't failed. This situation was not of your making. I think it's really important to consider learning new talents. Um, my belief is that we're never too old to learn. I went, for example, from having a team of marketers to suddenly being a sole trader and having to be hands-on at things like digital marketing. And even though I was great at directing the traffic in what I needed at a strategic level in digital marketing, I had no idea how to post on social media. So I had to upskill very quickly. And in this day and age, we're very lucky to have so many free online courses and webinars online that can help us through these trying times. I'm a firm believer that learning never ends. So how to survive? You already have a new full-time job. Your new full-time job is finding your next opportunity and you should dedicate as much time as you need to make this happen. That is your new full-time role. When it comes back to getting on that career path, it means dedicated time, effort and action. All of these things once again seem like common sense. 
uh, but you do need to constantly work on these if you want to succeed. When did you last update your LinkedIn profile? Do you have recommendations and endorsement of your key skills by others that you've worked with? Have you shown that you're actually open for job opportunities? Network, network, network. Be proactive, reach out to the networks that you already have, letting everyone know that you're seeking new opportunities. Make new contacts, follow like-minded groups and connect with new people. Very important to have a compelling resume that shows your transferable skills and make sure that you tailor, tailor making each cover letter and your resume to suit each application that you submit so that you're using keywords that appear in any ads or that resonate well with that or vacancy or organisation. Each application should be different. If you are looking at online job sites, obviously set up job alerts as well. And last but not least, and I think very importantly, consider what we call the gig economy. So the gig economy, I believe that one of the biggest opportunities we have to survive as a tourism sector and employees during and beyond this crisis is via the gig economy. The definition of gig economy, if you look that up, states it's a labour market characterised by the prevalence of short-term contracts or freelance work as opposed to permanent jobs. Technology platform companies have been a major force in the expansion of the gig economy since it started. But I think in our part of the world, certainly here in Australia, I'm not sure if any of you have comments later about your own parts of the world, but certainly here in Australia, uh, we generally think of things like Uber, Ola, Upwork, Fiverr, Airbnb, and so on. So I would say that our tourism sector uh, has not really been an early adopter of the gig economy. And of course, the gig economy was happening long before COVID. And as I've said earlier, gone were the days of working nine to five. It's becoming more and more common for people to derive an income from a range of different sources where workers are paid per project or per job. Also, you've got to remember that businesses might be struggling right now, uh, but some will need help resetting strategies and looking at how they're going to do things differently as we go forward. And they're going to need some high level skill sets to you know, look at those uh, strategies with them. So I think the gig economy could be a win-win for all in our industry. Recently, our business, Tourism Talent, launched Gig Connect, which was an, an initiative by our founders and directors in New Zealand, Jason Hall and Dylan Rushbrook, who I believe are on the call with us today. So hello, Jason and Dylan, if you're out there. And uh, in Jason's words, in a recent article uh, in New Zealand, the Tourism Ticker, Jason says, you know, what we're going to see from employers as they come out of survival and into recovery mode is how they can have access to a senior level of strategic thinking without necessarily applying the same cost structures that they've had to do historically. The whole concept of outsourcing in the gig economy makes contracting virtual CFOs or CMOs a lot of sense for small to medium-sized businesses as they recover. You know, they may get back to a position where they can bring those skills uh, back in-house, and if so, that's great. But maybe as things change, they may consider contracting these roles in and as required as part of their longer-term strategy. So let's take a look at some of the global, global rather, gig economy stats. Now, these are some old stats. They're late uh, 2019, included in a report by Small Business Genius, just highlighting how the gig economy was back then. So it was already doing well before this time. According to McKinsey, 20 to 30% of the workforce in the US and the EU 15 countries at that time were involved in the gig economy. 
That equates to around 162 million working age people engaged in some sort of non-traditional work. In the UK, according to The Guardian, the gig economy doubled in size between 2016 and 2019, comprising of 4.7 million workers. That's one in 10 working age adults at that time. The Association of Independent Professionals and the Self-Employed tells us that between 2008 and 2015, the number of freelancers increased by 24% in the EU, which equated to around 9.6 million people. In late 2019, the same uh, report, according to Upwork, the world's top freelancing site, 90% of independent workers in the US believe the gig economy will only improve as the time goes on. Their research also indicates that people between the ages of 18 and 34 are best represented amongst freelancers, with 42% of them engaged in independent work. However, closer to home for me in the Asia Pacific economic region, according to a report undertaken by the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Tourism Working Group, they obtained data from Uber, Airbnb and crowd workers and that suggests that uh, average gig workers in this region are not young millennials, but they're prime age workers between the ages of 25 and 55. Forbes, though, reports that by 2025, millennials will constitute most of the world's workforce, 75% to be exact. So when we consider that young people freelance more than any other generation, this does suggest a positive future for the gig economy as a whole. According to the Intuit 2020 report on the future of gig work, more than 80% of US-based large companies at that time said they would greatly increase their use of non-traditional workers in the coming years. Now, of course, I know that since these numbers uh, were put out in, in late 2019, the world has changed considerably. But I do believe that we are going to see more people earning their income in this way as we navigate through COVID-19. Many of my friends, including myself and my partner right now, we're doing it already, deriving an income from our business and then perhaps three or four other sources. So I'd encourage you to open your mind to becoming part of the gig economy, whether you are somebody who wants to work on projects yourself as part of a, a freelancer approach, or whether you're a business considering how you can still have access to strategic skill sets and keeping your overheads down at the same time. The great news is that most roles are immediate starts. They offer more flexibility and of course are a great way to supplement your income. It allows you to gain further experience in different organisations, maybe also come across different management styles or, or different ways in which organisations do things. And of course it can often lead to ongoing business and full-time work. If you're an individual considering it, of course, there are some cons, I suppose, as opposed to the pros, and they're just making us being aware of, of being realistic about these things. You have to adapt to not having a regular paycheck. You don't get paid sick leave or annual leave, and you do need to, of course, plan ahead for unforeseen risks, such as health or injuries, etc. For businesses, of course, it means lower overheads, which I think for businesses is great. And for example, an example that Jason uses, you know, we, you could contract a chief marketing officer, let's say for 20 hours a month at an hourly rate of $150 an hour, as an example, and that translates to 36 Australian dollars per year. And you could get quite a lot achieved in that time 
insights and intelligence from someone like that in a shorter window of time. This allows businesses to have uh, agility and flexibility. And as an agency, for example, ourselves at Tourism Talent, we just charge a small commission on the hourly rate of any earnings. Let's also take a look at some trends that we're seeing during this time. Of course, some sectors have had no alternative to close or pause right now, even though that might be temporary. We've seen that across our sector, aviation, hotels, restaurants, cafes, bars, museums and the like. However, some sectors are scaling up, such as supermarket chains. We've seen around 21,000 additional staff be taken on by our two major supermarket chains here in Australia. Healthcare as well, particularly aged care, is another area where we've seen growth call centres as well. And I'm sure many of you saw the news back in April that Amazon hired something like an additional 75,000 workers, adding more warehouse and delivery workers to help meet a surge in demand, which is tied to the coronavirus outbreak. Of course, working from home has become the norm with our virtual meetings via Zoom and the like being part of our every working day. The old way, the new way. Well, businesses who've had to pivot during this pandemic may consider some of these trends the new way to do business in the future. For example, can they cut their overheads as part of their longer term strategy? Do they really need that big corporate office on the right side of town? Do they need to send employees overseas for meetings when virtual meetings are now the norm? Do they need as many staff or will they consider hiring teams of specialists on a contract basis for projects and embrace the gig economy? They may also consider that employees working from home as an ongoing option for the long term. Many people working from home right now tell me, and I'm one of those myself, they get so much more achieved than when they're working in an open plan office. So businesses might actually be seeing so much more productivity right now. I also want to mention as well that, you know, some people are still hiring. So what changes have we seen in recruitment during this time? Some say recruitment is on hold, but it's certainly not everywhere, even in the last few days. I've had people contacting me here in Australia looking for a couple of roles. And we've already mentioned those sectors that are hiring as demand surges. I also just uh, hopped online to look at LinkedIn uh, in the last seven days, you know, the postings that are showing up in the last seven days. So as much as they're not at the level they were, uh, USA on LinkedIn is showing something like one, 1,500 vacancies in the tourism sector, uh, just under 2,000 across the EU, over 1,000 in the UK and about 2,000 in Australia, around 300 or so in India. And these are just one or two sites that I've looked at, so I've not looked comprehensively. Of course, virtual interviews, although they've been done often previously, uh, they're much more a thing of the norm now. And it's really important to ensure that you have a great uh, backdrop if you're being interviewed online, appropriate lighting and good equipment, and ensure that there are no distractions, mobiles on silent, and as in any interview, grooming and body language is so important as if you were going to a normal interview in person. I always say overdress, not underdress, be engaged, make eye contact, nod when listening to others, and whatever you do, rehearse beforehand. How do you look on camera? Test your technology, have your laptop at the level slightly above you, which is more flattering, and be patient through the recruitment process. Don't hassle recruiters. It's highly probably, probable rather 
that they too are going through a challenging time in their own business. In the words of Albert Einstein, I'm a firm believer that in the midst of every crisis lies great opportunity. And one thing I do know is that our industry, tourism, travel, hospitality, no matter where you are in the world, we're a very passionate people and we don't give up easily. Our industry is built on relationships and resilience and we do always bounce back. I believe that opportunity does lie just ahead, but our success is very dependent on how we navigate the storm, how adaptable we can be, and also how we develop. We've also got to be flexible and consider options that come to us. So my question in closing to you is this, what steps will you take today, either as an individual or in your own business, to ensure that you get your career or your business back on track, not just to survive, but to ensure you thrive in this new world? And whilst you're pondering that question, I just wanted to share with you some great books that have helped me through uh, my redundancies, and I'm sure there are many more out there. So a great book called What Colour Is Your Parachute? Uh, that cover I show there is the 2020 one. It's just been relaunched. And that's a practical manual for job hunters and career changes. So if you're stuck on your journey, it really helps you through the process. That publication gets revised and reprinted on a regular basis. Another great one is by John Lees. I think we all love this title, How to Get a Job You Love. And last but not least, a bit of lighthearted humour about a serious subject is Fat, Forty and Fired by Nigel Marsh, who if you haven't seen him is also a great public speaker. Also at Tourism Talent, we're here to assist. Our website is on the screen for you. If you're looking for a new role or keen to hear more about our new Geek Connect program, please reach out to us via our website or via LinkedIn. I really thank you very much for tuning in today. We really do appreciate your time and I do wish each and every one of you success with your future career path in business. So there you have it. Huge thanks again to Karen Priest for sharing her insights uh, with us this week. And if you haven't already done so, please do have a listen to the Q&A from this session in the next episode, which is also out now. It's my honour of being the next keynote speaker on Tuesday's session at 700 hours UK time in the morning, very early, and I'll be discussing the big opportunity we have right now for the global tourism industry. I do hope you can join us for it, and please do feel free to send in any questions for after the session as well. That's all for now. Enjoy your day, stay safe, stay healthy, stay home, and please don't forget to share our content with your friends and industry colleagues who may also believe that now more than ever, travel is better without the crowds.